0: Everything in life, especially in the workforce, is subjective, but especially art. Art is one of the most subjective things, and and finding a career in show business is also incredibly subjective. How do you define success Mm -hmm. by that? Mm -hmm. I think that's a lot of pressure.
1: Welcome to Candid Insights, I'm your host Sahil Badruddin, and today we have with us Hassan Minhaj, actor, comedian, and the host of the Netflix series Patriot Act. I've heard you say comedy is like funny speech and debate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm just curious about what uh, sparked your initial interest in comedy.
0: Yeah, so when I was in college, I, I went to undergrad right around the time where like, where universities were going from, you know, people at home had DSL, but like universities had, would have T3, super, super high-speed internet. And um, this is way pre-Netflix, but people would use things like Kazaa, LimeWire, and they would just download everything. So it was the first time where, you know, I, I went to school at UC Davis where people would just torrent. Just backlogs mm. of everything. I have every episode of South Park. Oh, wow. I have every episode of King of the Hill. I have mm. every every episode of The Simpsons. Um, I have every stand-up special from <laughs> Comedy Central every half hour, every one hour. And so I ended up going into a friend's uh, dorm room and he showed me stand-up. I, I, I just I wasn't really familiar with the art form. Mm. And then when I was watching this special called Chris Rock's Never Scared,
1: I was like, oh, this is funny speech and debate. He's mm-hmm. presenting an argument and just doing it in a funny way. Mm. Yeah. So the advice you've given to become a top comedian, and I think you got this from Conan O'Brien. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Move to the city that does what you want. Immerse yourself in the community. Yeah. Rise among the ranks, and then be nice to everyone. Be nice. He's... Yeah, which is huge. But you know, like many things, it's harder than it looks. Uh huh. Especially when you're going through the process. Right. Right. So I'm curious about what, what kept you motivated and driven when you were in that process. You know, you know what's really great
0: about something like um, stand-up, which is so, which is so, which is a live performance um medium mm-hmm. and uh it's it's something that you do every night. There's a built-in community of open mics every night. Hmm. So what I what what got what just kept me going was two things. Like number 1 the community. Every night in the cities, you know, when I first started it was Sacramento, then San Francisco, then Los Angeles and then finally New York where I live now. Every night there are so many different open mics. Mm-hmm. And so I just you know set those little goals. Tonight, I'm gonna go to the Brainwash Cafe, which was an open mic at a laundromat. Tonight, I'm gonna go to you mm-hmm. know this open mic at a coffee shop. I'm gonna go to this open mic. And I would just, the, those would be the little monkey bars that would get me through every day. Then the second part was putting together jokes. I really looked like jokes as like puzzles. Mm. And then when you put together an act, that's like the puzzle coming together and you start to see it become something. So five minutes becomes seven minutes, seven minutes becomes 10 minutes, 10 minutes becomes 15 minutes, 20 minutes, so on and so forth. And then you start to put them away like these little blocks of material. So I became really obsessed with putting together these puzzles and then putting the puzzle together for like a whole thing. Hmm. And as I continued to evolve in my career, I just kept going, where can I take this? Well, where can I take this? Where can I take this? So I went from just putting, seeing if I could put together jokes to construct an act, just a standard stand-up comedy act, to then putting together an hour, then from putting together an hour to being like, maybe there's, I want to go even deeper from just jokes. Maybe I can do storytelling, take storytelling and comedy, take that to Hmm. off-Broadway. Let's see if I can do that as a, you know, just continuing to evolve. Okay. And um, I'm just, just to try to, Yeah, just e- continuing to get better at the craft and evolving and see where
1: I can take comedy. So besides skill, what do you feel are some of the biggest challenges new and upcoming comedians or artists face currently in America?
0: Yeah, I think it's two things. Um, I would say, like, the number one pressure is, especially for, you know, artists that, you know, grow up in communities like ours, there is this huge pressure of, like, how do you define success in a in a career where there are there are really no guarantees?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And look, ev- everything in everything in life, especially in the workforce, is subjective. But especially art, art is one of the most subjective things. And, and finding a career in show business is also incredibly subjective. How do you define success? Mm-hmm. In, by that you know and there's you know sometimes people don't know how to define it for themselves sometimes they're defining it the way other people define it Mm -hmm. i think that's a lot of pressure and something i struggled with when i was a young artist
1: Mm -hmm.
0: you know what does making it mean and then the second sort of thing is while you're dealing with you know this sort of struggle grind and climb like how do you stay true to your own voice and how do you find your voice Mm. and cultivate that and there is a little bit of like you have to immerse yourself in the community, but you also have to like really get things to be really quiet and really think about okay, what do I want to say and what do I want to share with the world? Yeah, you know, especially when you're coming up, you really want to be like your role models, mm-hmm. and you really try to emu- emulate them. And then you know, as you continue to evolve and grow, you start to realize, look, I- there's only one me, and I really have to refine and hone and find my own unique voice.
1: Yeah. And that's something a little more personal. As you yeah. hustled your way through yeah. this, yeah. there were times, I know you've spoken publicly, where you said your parents didn't always support you until you made it, right? Right, right, right. What advice would you give for the guy who's hustling, who's struggling, but you know, there's certain hurdles in certain cultures, right? For example, there's less appreciation for arts or music or comedy as careers. Yeah. Like you said, there's no tangible metric, right? even advice on how to have that conversation with, like, parents and peers. Yeah, I mean, look, there there, there does come a point, I think, for every artist where
0: it's just, you just have to burn the boats. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it really is, it does come down to that, where you just, like, have to rip the Band-Aid off, and mm-hmm. I remember that happened when my LSAT score expired. I mm-hmm. had to have just, like, a really, really just, like, Rough conversation with my parents. That was a real thing. I had to go through and you know my parents their concern was just like It's not that we don't think that they care about you you doing comedy is is a is is a bad thing No, it's we think you're very capable and we think that we just want everything to be okay We want your life to be okay. We don't want you to struggle We don't want you to live on an air mattress and all that stuff and I think I came to a really Important sort of conclusion for myself was I I can only do things that I'm all in Mm -hmm. for and I just really loved comedy that much, mm-hmm. honestly. Like I, I had no problem sleeping on an air mattress and just having my yellow notepad and having the sh- my show that night. As long as you did what you loved. Yeah, and for me, I really re- realized making it was just. There was a moment where, look, there was gas in my car. I was able to, you know, I was able to go to Chipotle and get a burrito <laughs> with avocado. Yeah. You know, I, I could afford the extra dollar forty five mm. to like have guac, mm-hmm. and I was like. You know, I had healthcare, and I was doing what I loved. I'm like, this is it. This is making it. Mm. This moment, like where I'm at. If it if it increases anymore, that's great. But this is making it. I'm who getting. Was... I'm paying rent, doing what I love. And this was pre Daily Show, right? Pre Daily Show. I just came to terms with it. I'm just like, look, people in the community think I'm a loser. I'm not funny, but I have a person who loves me. Was who is now my wife. Uh, I'm healthy, and I yeah. do what I love. I, I at that point. You know, and in, in you hit a certain age where you're just like, "Look, I, you know, I'm 28, 29. I really can't. I really can't entertain mm-hmm. trying to make you happy or try to convince you that you know yeah. I'm I'm worthy of your appreciation or
1: support." Hmm. But you made a good point about at least you made the basic necessities, and you made peace with that, and then it still kicked off, right? Yeah. Like to me, it's just like, and
0: look, like especially in show business, so many people who. uh who I look up to, the Jim Gaffigans, the Jon Stewart's, the Jerry Seinfeld's, like they've all told me like this concept of fame, it ebbs and flows. It is mm. not a constant. Mm. So there are going to be times where people are like, oh my God, you're selling out theaters. And there's times where people are like, nah, I'm not really into him anymore. Mm. And one of the biggest inspirations for me was this comedian named Dick Gregory, who passed mm. away. And mm. Dick Gregory was... It was one of the most famous, most prominent, both political comedians and African American comedians, who was just a real trailblazer, and, and, he, and he broke a lot of ground. He passed away in his eighties, but you know he's a legend. Every comedian respects him. I, I had this conversation where I was talking to another comedian friend of mine, and what was really amazing about Dick Gregory is he was playing Caroline's Comedy Club, which is a comedy club which mm. seats you know maybe three hundred or less, right? He is a he is an icon, but he still had dates on the books before his death. And I remember, you know, my friend and I. Roy in was his Jr., 80. yeah, in his eighties, yeah. and and he was like, "Man, Dick Gregory has dates on the books when when he died," and wow. that's incredible. That's incredible to me. Yeah. And so, that is how I define success. And I, you know, I I really encourage other artists
1: to define it that way too. What kind of comedy do you feel still has a lot of white space and space for growth? I think political comedy, specifically, like. I'm really excited
0: about the space that Patriot Act can live in. Hmm. I think for the longest time, especially when it comes to news and political news, we've either been spoken for or spoken to. It's one of those right. two things. And when you think about sort of headline pieces that shape our life or shape our, our identity – um, there's just so much in the American political satire space that hasn't addressed things like the United States' relationship with Saudi Arabia, uh, the, the rise of nationalism in India, um, Brexit, like these huge, huge global topics, mm-hmm. uh, uh, elections in Venezuela, these huge topics that are affecting hundreds of millions of people. Right. And on the Patriot Act offices at, in, in our offices in New York, on my whiteboard in my office, there's this big thing where, because I get asked all the time, well, where, what space does this, this show live in? It says 6.4B, and it's mm-hmm. underlined. And um, my co-writer and co-creator of the show, Prashant, uh, he came into my office early on when we were in pre-production, and, I, and he wrote that on my, on my whiteboard. And he says there's 6.4 billion people in the world with melanin.
1: Hmm.
0: So wow. this cognitive framework of, hey, where is this show going to fit? Who is it going to speak to? There's more people who look like me than don't. Right. So in fact the conversation should be towards any other late night host. How are you going to relate to those six point four billion people who don't immediately share your frame or reference or or way of life or understanding or perception of the world? That's the white space I I think it's gonna
1: be really And it's actually not the white space, it's the brown space. Yeah. (laughs) But then how do we prop these people up? How do we encourage them to see that they can make it and we have such a diverse group in the world. But yeah, still, totally. But, aren't,
0: but don't you think we're seeing it right now? Yeah, I think yeah, it's the rise of it. Yeah, yeah, I think, and I think it's awesome. I think it's it's every per it's every seat that's filled at every show. It's every retweet. It's every like on Instagram. It's every time people sit down and watch and share these videos. It's spreading and it's inspiring people. And I'm
1: really excited to see
0: like I just see the breadth of talent.
1: Yeah. You've mentioned that in the next fifteen years of entertainment will include more female voices, especially. 100 percent. Brown and hundred percent, yes.
0: And I, I can't, and I cannot wait to see. How do we? That's going to be really cool.
1: Yeah. How do we help create that better environment for to see these? Is it already happening, or? Yeah, I
0: just think like I think the biggest thing, the the biggest thing that you know, new voices, um, and especially voices from, you know. Diverse, different communities that we we haven't heard from, whether it's women of color, people from the LGBTQ community. I, I think that the biggest thing that like you know they need, you know the every, we all need is just space. Mm-hmm. They need to be included in these in, in like the bills on comedy shows or in the writers room. And having inclusion that way gives them an opportunity to shine.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And my biggest thing is like a dude is to just get out of the way and let them share their stories and be great. That, yeah. that, that's one of the biggest lessons that I've learned. Mm-hmm. And to be, do everything that I can to
1: clear to to make space, listen, and contribute. So going back, there's there's a tendency, especially when performing comedy, to use like self-deprecating humor. Okay. For example, for South Asians, people use like Indian accents. Right, like right, right. The right. apu syndrome, right. Yeah, yeah. How do we go beyond that?
0: Yeah, like, to me, it's, uh, are you laughing, like, at me or with me? So, like, the, you know, the way, like, you know, a common trope in in all mm-hmm. forms of comedy is high class, low class. Mm. So, like, there, you have the protagonist and the joke, um, and something is happening to the protagonist. Some outside external factor outside of the race Hmm. is happening to them that or maybe because of their race but there is something that is happening to them that where they they are the victim of circumstances and we've all felt that you know you're walking on the road all of a sudden you know (laughs) bird poop lands on your shoulder we've (laughs) we've felt those those moments before right right or you're you know you feel like you're walking in into a door and it's not a door and it's just a window and you face plant. Like, mm-hmm. why are those things funny? It's, and I think it's because people find it funny that, hey, you, like, you were embarrassed. Mm-hmm. Because I think we've all felt that way before. Right. Um, so my thing is, is that, like, I want to tap into the human condition mm-hmm. and I'm totally okay with, like, self-deprecating humor as long as it's tapped into that. Mm-hmm. And it's not linked to just something where, you know, you're gonna, you're gonna just laugh at a stereotype.
1: But I feel like some of these racial and ethnic stereotypes sometimes amplify um, rather than. Do you think it's getting worse? No, I think it's been the same. Uh, oh, really? Like it's it's sort of stayed the same since like even the '90s. There's still, still. I think it's maybe getting a little bit better because I think people are recognizing it more. I mean, the Apu syndrome. There was a whole. I think I'm sure you saw the right?
0: documentary. Yeah. Yeah, documentary right, and...
1: yeah. So I think there's been more recognition of it. Yeah. But you're saying. Are using in the positive sense for sister? Yeah, or just, you know? or yeah, just you know, like how do I just tap into
0: the the everyday human condition that everyone knows and feels? Hmm. You know, those those common emotions of like pain, love, loss, anxiety, fear, uh, embarrassment. Like yeah. those are things we all human feel. Human condition. Yeah, right? the that's human it. feelings.
1: Yeah, I I believe there are young people in the South Asian Muslim community who uh-huh. w- who look up to you as a role model. Uh-huh. Uh, What kind of responsibility now do you feel, like compared to many years ago, of defining yourself as part of an identity? Do you feel responsibility? Do you feel like you can give lessons to that as people do look up to you? I definitely, you know, I definitely feel like super
0: humbled that people would consider me to be somebody that they would, Mm -hmm. you know, look up to and, and, and admire and all that stuff. It's definitely a lot of pressure, yeah. and there's definitely feelings of, "Hey, you can't mess up because people, mm-hmm. people are watching, people are looking at you, you know, and people, people maybe turn to
1: you." Um, with and great I, power comes great responsibility. Yeah,
0: but you know, I talked to John Stewart about this, mm-hmm. and I was like, "How do you deal with stuff like this?" Yeah. And he said, "Look, like, uh, make no mistake, there is no one song, movie, or joke that will change the world." It is my job at the show to, to do the best possible work that I can mm-hmm. and perhaps that, that provides some clarity or some respite.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Some relief to your life. Yeah. That's it. But the real change, the necessary condition for change, actually doesn't come from us mm-hmm. artists. It actually comes from action in the streets. Mm-hmm. Like people actually enacting changes in Congress mm-hmm. with their senator Marching, voting—those are necessary conditions to change. Right, not a joke. At best, what we do is we we strike a lightning bolt of inspiration that like gets people to possibly do something. But mm. again, it's a sufficient condition, not a necessary not a necessary condition.
1: Yeah. So we're living in this post-truth, post-fact yeah. world. Yeah. Sometimes, yeah. Uh, do you see comedy as breaking through and breaking echo chambers, breaking through some of these? views and perspectives right you know look like i
0: think you know we're yeah we're living in a time where like reality itself is up for grabs and it's really scary and terrifying Mm -hmm. but the closest thing that i i can see to trying to sort of figure that out is to hit people in both places sort of hearts and minds it's why like with some of our act structure that you saw tonight there's Mm -hmm. stats and there's values Mm -hmm. and i acknowledge that it's like hey, look, I'm showing you all this stuff, but it doesn't matter. I'm giving you a rational argument to an irrational, irrational fear. Thing. It doesn't. That doesn't matter. That, that means nothing. We've all argued with people on Facebook. Yeah. It's not going to... It's, it's an emotional thing. It's not going to work. It's an emotional thing. So that's why I do both. I'm, mm-hmm. I, I want to address both. Mm-hmm. The values part,
1: the heart part. Hey, I just feel this way. Mm-hmm. This is just what I feel. And then also hit you with, with the head stuff. Right. And I think comedy gets the mixture rather than hopefully. The, a lecture, Hope, right?
0: Hopefully. Yeah, yeah. hopefully. But right. look, at the end of the day, like... If if someone doesn't want to change, they they can't. Again, like all I can do is just do the best possible work that I can. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes people are just like, "Well, comedians, why can't you solve this all?" And Mm -hmm. it's like, "Hey, man, we're all doing our part." Mm -hmm. Like, and I think just as artists, if we as artists or politicians or journalists, if we all do the best possible work we can, hopefully it moves the needle forward. It's collective. Yeah, like yeah.
1: Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks, man. Thank you for listening to today's episode with Canada Insights. If you enjoyed it, don't forget to subscribe or follow us on social media for updates on future episodes. If you've already subscribed, please leave us a rating or review. It does help new people find the podcast. I'm Sahel Badruddin, your host, and for a transcript of this interview and others, visit my website at sahilbadruddin.com.